Hello, and welcome to the Coral Catalog podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. I hope that through this podcast, you can find choral repertoire that works for your high school and or middle school choruses. This is episode 16, and I'll be talking to Mike Engelhart about his composition Victime Pascali Laudes, which is available for TTBB and SATB. Mike Engelhart is an innovative choral and pop music artist. His work has been featured on ABC, NBC, PBS, NPR broadcasts, the Carnegie Hall stage, and national educational conferences. He has numerous choral works published by Walton Music GIA and Hinshaw Music, in addition to his self-published catalog. In the pop music field, he has arranged and or performed backing vocals for such artists as OAR, Ben Folds, Take Six, Kansas, and Patty Austin, and he's produced a concert video for Michael McDonald. I hope you enjoy my conversation today with Mike Engelhart about his composition, Victime Pascali Laudes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Choral Catalog. My name is Matthew Van Dyke, and I am the host. Today, I am joined with Mike Engelhart. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to him. So Mike is a composer, singer, and uh, excuse me, composer, songwriter, and conductor. Um, and he is the composer of Victime Pascali Laudes. Uh, so welcome, Mike. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Matthew. It's really great to be with you today. Very cool. So before we jump into Victime, uh, I'm going to take you down my traditional rabbit hole of ridiculousness, um, and I'm going to ask you some would-you-rather questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first question I have for you is, would you rather suddenly be elected president, or would you rather suddenly be appointed as the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company? CEO all the way. Is there a, like a specific reason why? <laughs> I don't want to touch. I don't want to touch the polit- the political scene with a ten foot pole right now. <clears throat> Very cool. All right. Would you rather experience a zombie apocalypse or a robotic apocalypse? Ooh, wow. I guess a robotic apocalypse because they can't infect you and make more of them or though i don't know maybe who knows there's they're robots and they're starting to take over the world so maybe they can <laughs> tough one. i'm gonna go robots robots okay sounds good all right last one i have for you uh would you rather spend the rest of your life in an rv or on a sailboat mm. wow I, I love the water so much but being in a sailboat scares me to death to be out on the open season. So I'm going to have to go with RV on that one. And maybe I'll just stay along the coastline. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> I, that's, I, I always do the would you rather because it just gets, it, it pulls us, it pushes us real close into the deep end real fast. So <laughs> thanks for, uh, thanks for playing along with me on oh, that. Sure. All right, let's get to know you a little bit more, maybe your musical side. Um, so the first question I have for you in that um, aspect is who is another choral composer who you are influenced by in some way? Um, well, you know, probably the big two are the, the, I gotta go with the triumvirate here. I'm going to go with, um, you know, my high school choir director, Paul Roush, who is now, um, retired from Woodstock high school in Illinois. Um, huge, uh, influence on me and a great encourager, um, for me and mentor as well. And then Brad Holmes at Millican university where I went for my undergrad and then was later one of his colleagues on the faculty there. Um, you know, longtime friend. And then um, Bruce Chamberlain, who uh, taught me for some of my my undergraduate work and really um, uh, taught me specifically how to approach larger scores, um, choral works with orchestral accompaniment and how to how to really sort my way through and effectively conduct rehearse and conduct um, some of those larger forms uh, in the choral repertoire. So that th- those are my big three. Great. Awesome. Do you have um, another choral composer who you are influenced by? Uh, there's so many. There's so, you know, there's so many. It's so hard to say. You know, I, I, I know that Lauridson had a big impact on my young ears um, when I was an undergrad. Um, Whitaker, too, of course, um, you know, from the American side. But I really... Um, like this is going to sound a little bit out of the box because people may not think of him as a choral composer, but I would say Kirk Franklin turned my world around. Um, Kirk Franklin, uh, gospel uh, writer, arranger, a great 
piano player in his own right. And, uh, uh, the Kirk Franklin and the family projects that, that he started cranking out. I w I want to say, um, like late nineties, um, you know, and, and ever since that stuff is fantastic. And if, you know, and I, I, I always think too, that, you know, gospel choral music is really one of the very few truly American additions that we've made to the global choral repertoire, um, in terms of performative choral music. So yeah, Kirk all the way i love that i love that i don't know that name uh, and so Ooh, i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. dive into that so thank Go you listen all right what is um what is one piece of choral music that you cannot live without what's your desert island piece of choral music oh gosh you know i was thinking about i i, I was thinking about <clears throat> what you know i i Huh. it's really hard i think it's an I'm impossible go, question i know yeah, i think i'm gonna go with lordson um omanu mysterium just just because of where i was in in my life as an undergrad um and a couple of reasons for that you know it was the first it was the first time i, I our, our choir director there had uh, some back issues and so some of us students had to fill in and so i got to sort of drive dad's sports car and conduct that piece on tour um and uh had had a deep effect on me that way but then also harmonically i mean i was you know it's just uh starting with that it starts with a d add nine over over f sharp it's the the sort of the major add nine over um got a piano in front of me i don't even yeah. know if you can hear that <laughs> but yeah that sonority and then going to a nine over c sharp and then going down to g add nine over b and then back to the D at nine, but over the A. So you don't, you know, in that whole opening sequence, you never get root position one. And just that, you know, that's such a beautiful contemporary harmonic language. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that kind of opened my ears to uh, not having to think that I had to be so traditional um, in some of my, you know, because I'm really, I'm really kind of a pop guy. Um, as much as I am a traditional choral guy. So uh, yeah, I'd say Omanu Mysterium sort of unlocked some things for me. That's excellent. I love that. I love the way you broke it down too. The tr that the traditionalist versus the, you know, the contemporary harmony. Yeah. All right, let's pivot a little bit and let's, let's talk about Victime Pascali Laudes. And now a snippet of Victime Pascali Laudes by Mike Engelhart performed by Vocal Edge. Maria, you know, be, 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 you
Victime, 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 victime pastalilares, pares, 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 victime lares, pares, 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 victime, victime, victime. So this piece is uh, is voiced for SATB and TTBB. There are two different versions of that. Did I get that correct? Right. right. Yep. Okay. So uh, I think this piece is so gnarly. And I used that <laughs> specific word uh, as we were talking about before the interview began, that this piece, I kind of got introduced to it a couple of years ago. And um, I, I've always kind of been so intrigued by it because it's just so unique um, and it's very non-traditionalist, I think is, is, the, is a good way to say it. So um, so I'm going to just kind of dive in and ask you a couple questions about it. But I also sure. I'm going to ask you some things that, you know, about how to make it work, you know, how sure. what kind of things are available on the back end to make it really kind of pop in a live setting and those kinds of things. So first first question I have for you is when did you write this piece? And um, I know on the um, on the uh, excuse me, the music itself there, it's there's a commission. So can you talk to us about how that commission began? So when was it written and how did the commission come to be? Yeah, it was written on commission for uh, Dr. Jefferson Johnson, Jeff Johnson at University of Kentucky for his uh, tenor bass chorus. And they had um, an opportunity, as they do very frequently, because he's phenomenal. Um, they had the opportunity to perform at the national, the ACDA National Conference in 2015. So he approached me in 2014 once he knew that they had been selected to perform and he wanted something um, that sort of came out of the same ilk as my arrangement of Gaudete, which he had done on a previous national conference. Um, and he wanted something that was, that was new and hip and very modern. Um, and, uh, and, and sort of in that same kind of dance groove kind of ilk that I, you know, that I established with my arrangement of Gaudete. And uh, so, so yeah, that's how that came about. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, so then I went to work trying to figure out what I was going to do. And it was kind of a confluence of, uh, of different influences and ideas that all came together to, to write the piece. Very cool. Awesome. So, I already kind of said that this is this piece is just so unique. And um, so can you tell us a little bit about you, you kind of just touched on it before you, you finished your answer that you had these specific influences during that time and whatnot. So can you kind of talk to us about maybe what maybe what those influences are in this piece and then maybe just broader? You know, you talked about Gaudete that has just gained so much momentum. Um, so where, you know, what, what influences your style in that way to kind of break the boundary, use, you know, use a break, a, a, a break drum and, and those kinds of things and the other right. thing and, and the vocoder. And so tell us a little bit about your influence in your, in your composition style. Right. So, you know, I really, um, like I said, I'm equal parts pop and traditional as a musician. And, um, one of my favorite sort of styles of pop music is, uh, electronica, down-tempo electronica, really melodic electronic music, um, which has sort of become a real part of the modern pop ethos. You know, modern pop these days is sort of synth pop driven, um, lots of, uh, you know, different samples and synths, analog synths, or, you know, digital synths that are kind of replicating the analog sounds and, and all that. And I really... Um, I was really digging into that stuff around that time and still, still am. I still write some stuff that's, you know, along those lines. Um, but uh, yeah. So, and, and also I had also always kind of loved this little chant melody, um, the victime. I came across it the first time um, I think in high school and it stuck with me. So I had mentioned Paul Rausch. Uh, he directed the high school choirs in Rudder's Requiem. <clears throat> and in movement 
five, I want to say, of the Requiem, there's a little oasis during the on-use day, which can get a little bit like fiery and aggressive. It gets loud, um, the on-use day, and sort of has a little oasis in the middle of that movement. Um, it's a wind. It's either a flute or an oboe. Plays that little then organ change chords, organ change chords. And I just like, I don't know, my ears just grabbed onto that and I remembered it. And then I saw it again in a textbook in my undergrad. I'm like, ah, so that's where that melody came from. It's this this little sequence, um, Victime Pascalia Laudis, and just stuck with me for years. And so when he asked me to write something, I'm like, well, I wonder if I could take that tune and put it to sort of a modern pop synth dance groove. And one of my favorite groups at that time, and still is, although they've broken up now, um, I'm crossing my fingers for a comeback, is a group called Daft Punk. Uh, they're Daft Punk. It, they're fantastic. They're a French duo um, who, like, their persona, their musical personas is they they present themselves as being robots. Uh, like, they're part of the machine, like, the synths and the computers that they use to make their music is kind of, you know, their gimmick. Um, but just brilliant. And everyone... You know, has worked with them from Pharrell to The Weeknd. Um, and, you know, everybody kind of wanted a piece of collaboration with with Daft Punk. And they had just come out with their album, Random Access Memories. So there's a lot of Daft Punk in there, especially the vocoder sound, um, the basic drum groove and the building of the layers uh, in, in Victime is a little little homage to Daft Punk. I love that. I love Daft Punk so much. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> so for for those of us that are not familiar with vocoders and such, what what is a vocoder? Yeah, a vocoder is just a, a synthesizer or a synth uh, patch like in a computer. Um, but you can do it. it there are uh, real synthesizers that, that, that can do it as well uh, that essentially take... Um, the, the sound, the articulation of a human voice and transform it into the pitches that you're playing on on the keyboard or that you've input in as MIDI information. So um, none of the pitch comes from your voice, only like the sound of the vowels and the, um, and the consonants are coming from your vocal track or what you're singing into the microphone live if you're using a live vocoder. Um, and then it's transformed into a synth sound and there are various kinds of synth sounds, but they all sound kind of robotic. Um, and, uh, so I really kind of thought that that would be super cool to introduce that on a baseline, um, in a choral piece that was going to be performed live at a conference. I just thought, and, and Jeff is just crazy enough and he's got, you know, an, an, a, a small army of always incredibly gifted uh, undergrad or uh, graduate students who will go out and figure out how to do it. Um, so I believe it was JD Frizzell who is now, you know, a fantastic name in his own right as a conductor um, does phenomenal work. I think it was him who figured he, he was a grad student at the time with Jeff who figured out how to make it happen live um, on stage. But uh, yeah, so, so the vocoder thing to totally came from Daft Punk. I love that. I love that. So, um, what does this, what does this text translate to? And, you know, you had talked about how this melody had kind of been with you and whatnot, but what made you want to set this at that point? You know, what made, what, what was the decision that the stars aligned and you said, this is the text. So what does it translate to and why did you set it? Right. So it's, it's, it's essentially, um, like I said earlier, it's a sequence that comes out of the Catholic mass and um, it's a, it's part of it's the Easter story essentially. Um, and uh, you know, it's, so if I could just sort of read some of the translation, basically it's, you know, uh, the, the, the victime Pascali Laudis, that's, you know, the victim, the Paschal victim or the Passover sort of the victim, the lamb, you know, let, let that, let him be praised. Um, and uh, the lamb has redeemed the sheep, the, you know, the innocent one has reconciled the ones who are not innocent. Uh, you know, it's all these sort of um, very uh, typical sort of Christian themes about the Easter story. And then it gets, and then it starts to get dramatic death and life 
uh, sort of contended into in a spectacular battle in an epic battle. And, um, and the one who died actually is the one who defeated death. Right. So it's great text. Um, great um, sort of images um, and great metaphors. And then uh, the, the the uh, the narrator says, "Tell us, Mary, what did you see on the way?" And she says, "I saw the tomb of the living Christ and the glory of His rising." And I'm like, "Okay, well, this is, I mean, I you know, this is fantastic. <clears throat> you know, I can change voices, change sections. You've got sort of a narrator asking, and then Mary in quotation marks. Um, I saw the tomb. You know, sepulchrum Christi viventis, um, and then." Uh, then I skip some of the text to, to kind of put a button on it that um, that the uh, and I, I, I also kind of recap because I kind of feel like I need to make a song form somehow out of out of some of these things that I do. Um, so I recap back to some of the opening material, but I end with a solo that that says um, sort of the, the you know, puts the button on the whole thing that says to nobis victorex miserere to you conquering king so now at the beginning it was victime and now it's victor rex the victor king right so the victim becomes the victor i love that sort of uh twist of text there um and uh you know and then it's sort of on so conqueror king or victim the the victorious king have have mercy on on us and so that that's how it ends so that you know, I just found that compelling. I felt like I can make some real shape out of this. I already know I love the melody um, and I can really make something dramatic and have some distinct sections that really represent the various of, of the very distinct turns in, in that text. Love that. Excellent. Excellent. So before we start to kind of jump into the nitty gritty musical stuff, um, can you talk to us about um, the, in some of the performances that I've seen, it seems to be that there is a similar kind of backing track that's used. Is that something that can be kind of like purchased through you or, and what, what is that track? And if they don't, if somebody doesn't decide to do that and they decide to kind of analog it in a sense, how, how do they do that? What do they need? Right. Yeah. So um, it's this, this, um, tune is pretty fluid in, in that way and that you can do it in a number of different ways. Um, but yeah, the backing track is made by um, myself and my brother, Tom, who does some production work uh, at a pretty high level. And we collaborated on a few things here and there. And so that backing track was created by us. And I tagged on like a two bar lead in that has some opening pitch material and establishes the groove and the tempo. Uh, before the vocal score starts. Um, and then pretty much it, it provides the, um, the drum groove, some of the synth sounds, sorry, I just bumped my microphone, some of the synth sounds um, and, uh, and the vocoder bass line. So, you know, if you just want to sing it with your choirs, um, but you still want to have, some of the cool synth pop stuff, you know, sort of daft punky sounding stuff, but you don't want to try to replicate that live on stage with your choir. Um, you can do that. You can use the backing tracks, um, you know, and play those, play it through the monitors or the mains or however you want to, you want to do that. Um, but uh, yeah. So then, you know, if you want to go uh, completely live with it, you'll need someone who uh, can figure out how to, um, speak the text of the bass part at the same time as they're playing the bass part on a keyboard that is hooked up as a vocoder. Oh, okay. So, so someone would have to be singing into a microphone that's attached to a keyboard. And like I said, it commonly available. Um, It's just a matter of, you know, do you have somebody in your group who can do it or are you curious enough to go and figure that out on your own? Um, You can also run it through, um, if you don't want to do it self-contained in a, in a synthesizer that has a vocoder function to get a little deeper into the woods, you can use a DAW, something like logic on a, on an Apple or pro tools or studio one. There's tons of 
DAW's digital audio workstations, essentially recording software. Um, and they come with all kinds of different synth patches and that kind of thing. And you, you know, you could run a microphone into your computer, which also has a keyboard hooked into it. So you're controlling that sound in real time as a performer. Um, so that plus, and then uh, there's some options for the, the, uh, sort of the drum tracks as well. The groove could be what uh, University of Kentucky did along with the live vocoder is they had a beatboxer. So it was beatbox, vocoder, and chorus. Um, but you could also have somebody on a cajon. Um, you could have somebody, essentially the drum part is pretty much just kick, snare, and some like suspended cymbals or, you know, a couple of accented crashes, but really most of what needs to happen, there's not a whole lot of like Tom fills or, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to have a hi-hat going through the whole thing necessarily. Um, you know, although you could, you could do it with a drum set, you could do it with a reduced drum set, you could do it with, you know, like I said, a cajon or, or something like that. So the various ways that you can make that groove happen, I think the only thing that to be aware of is, you know, make sure that, um, you know, where things switch from halftime back to, you know, from regular time to halftime and then back to regular time. Yeah. Um, so, but if you have a capable percussionist, uh, you can do it a number of different ways. That's cool that those options are available. I, th I yeah. think that different groups will, it I think it creates a unique uniqueness to their performance and whatnot. All right, so let's kind of jump in a little bit of the musical aspects of Victime. Sure. So the first question, or rather the teaching aspects of it, as um, rather. Sure. So first thing that I, um, I always ask is, um, what kind of musical concepts, you know, when you program this piece for an ensemble and whatnot, I like to think, at least in my classroom, I think about, you know, my students are missing this aspect to their musicality. Uh, they, they need to be better about onset. They need to be better about yada, yada, yada. So what, what kind of musical concepts do you think that this piece teaches really well? Well, I, I think one of the things that we as singers and conductors always could use a little bit more attention um, with regard to our, uh, our own musical skills is steady tempo. And, um, you know, if you perform this or at least rehearse it along with the backing tracks provided, you know, that's going to force you into a sense like you can't rush or you're going to lose the track, you know, and that seems to be kind of a one of those um, really bad habits that we we can sort of fall into as singers as we try to fill in all of the blank spaces. You know, I hear lots of just going back to Gaudete, which has a backing track, but doesn't get used very much. It's usually done with live percussion. You know, they'll start at the marked tempo. But because we, we sort of have this tendency of trying to fill in the rests or, you know, sort of shortchange the rests. And by the end of some of the performances that I see in here by some very good choirs, they just can't help it. They, you know, they've rushed ahead. Um, so I think um, with this one, I mean, just really steady groove. Um, you know, it's, it's like rehearsing with a metronome, which I don't believe we do enough of as uh, it's sort of in the vocal fields. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's one thing for sure. Um, I would say another thing is, uh, you know, the once the layers get going on the first couple of pages is you've got long sustained um, cluster harmonies. Right. So it's going to um, sort of test the singer to to find the center of the pitch and stay there. Um, I have marked on my score senza vibrato on some of those, just because when you are in, you know, sort of uh, half step, whole step um, harmonies, when you're in those dissonances, um, vibrato really is uh, a, uh, a variation of pitch. And um, I know there was a, a nice article that came out in Coral Journal just here recently about producing uh, sort of a sound without vibrato and with vibrato. And I know it's kind of the third rail for a lot of people, but in this kind of pop uh, style approach and context, I think, you know, on some of those, you know, whole notes or holes tied over to halves um, that happen in the first few pages of this piece, it, you know, it really asks for you to 
really dial those in and almost sing. And here's really what it is. You're almost singing like a synthesizer part, right? I'm, I'm really stacking. I'm step sequencing is the, is the name for it in, in uh, music production world. Um, you know, in digital production world is I'm step sequencing layers on top of layers. And those longer layers are just pretty much like synth pads. So um, yeah, so those, those are for sure a couple of concepts. And then of course, just the exposure to an ancient, um, an, an ancient chant tune um, and the, the diction required for the, the ancient Latin text, um, I think is also really uh, valuable educationally. I, I love that. I love how you talked about the, the, the basically the intonation and the, and, and whatnot. Yeah. That, that's a, that's the first thing my brain went to when I started to kind of look and study of this is that you have to be, you have to be right on that pitch or else it doesn't or, or The overtone of it makes the vibration, not necessarily the vib, the, the vibration of the voice. Um, right. I don't know if that made any sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Let, so let, the, let the harmony let the harmonies create the color exactly right? that's that's where i was going yeah okay so next question i have for you is you know as directors when we hand this piece to our singers um we almost and i don't know you know i've never taught college before or anything like that but for a high school student they have to love it in the first day of when they do it um so where where do you start with this piece? You know, if you were going to introduce this to an ensemble that you were working with, where do you start? If even if it, if it's the TTB one or the SATB one, SA so on and so forth, what first part do you start with that hooks them into loving this piece? Um, I I think uh, really the the first couple of pages before you even get to the statement of the the chant tune, um, because it's you know it's fun you you get sort of three different layers of um, sort of complementing rhythmic material and harmonic material. And, you know, you, you sort of get a sense right away of how everybody locks together and it's not very hard, really. The notes aren't hard. Um, you know, even the three part cluster chord that, that happens on the sustained victime, that section, everybody starts in unison and then just sort of fans out to a three part cluster, you know? So um, and I think tenor one and looking at the TTBB chart right now, tenor one has like three notes. Basses just walk down a very predictable minor bass line. So, you know, I think right away you can start to have some success and hear some cool sounds um, before you even get to what the actual melody or the narrative of the story is. Yeah, I think this is a, a you, you touched on a, a little bit of of that kind of in in your response that. This, I think on the onset of this, this looks like a lot. It looks mm -hmm. like a lot of voices and whatnot. But I'm talking to you today in the in the you know middle school, high school. Obviously, this is probably not a middle school thing, frankly. But I think a high school group could do this because the mm -hmm. because even though it looks very big and thick the notes that they have to do are very sequential and very repetitive and whatnot. And once you kind of layer that in, it, it does the work on itself. Um, so I just kind of wanted to touch on that in terms of the hook of it, because it can look daunting immediately to the eye, but I don't, but I don't believe that it is as daunting as it appears. Would you, would you say similar things or? I, I would agree. I, you know, it looks like, you know, um, like, some busyness and some craziness and you see all the staves and you're like, Oh my goodness. But yeah, I think, you know, like the, the bass part, the pat, the rhythmic pattern and the, the, you know, this, it's a scalar for the most part, you know, sort of scale wise movement, stepwise movement. Um, it really isn't that hard. Um, and, uh, you know, it gets a little bit more difficult in, in the middle of the, the thicker chordal section. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, here to get things, you know, started to kind of get everyone inspired and motivated to go and dig after some of the harder stuff, um, you know, getting those first few pages, um, you know, up and running really is really fun, is really fun. Excellent. Love that. I, I, I agree. It fits where I would start as well. Um, okay. So, and in your time with this piece and different ensembles that have done this and maybe that have reached out to you or that you've heard their recordings um what kind of uh kind of chronic things have come up in your ears um 
that you have heard that maybe in this episode or our conversation that you can say, I tend to hear this. So here's a tip or a trick that I would use to build that bridge before you get to the end of the, you know, before you get to the cavern, if, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So like what, um, what, what are some things that I hear sort of people kind of uh, not able to, I guess what I'm asking more is what are some tips and tricks that you would pass on to directors based on some of the chronic things that you've heard over and over again, or maybe not even based on that, but what are some tips and tricks that you would give to directors to make this the most successful performance? Yeah. I think the first thing is to have your sort of have your, your, your choral tone derived a little bit more out of the um, pop and contemporary um world so if you try to sing this very deep and dark um in your in your placement um you know like you might some you know romantic literature or something um it's really not going to ring uh it really is um you know written as a hybrid classical and pop tune and the vocals really do need that brilliance to them. So, you know, you don't necessarily want to sing it completely, um, you know, as bright as you might um, like a vocal jazz thing, which I do a lot of vocal jazz and that's a wonderful sound and I love it. So you can have a little bit more room in your vowel than that, but you definitely want everything coming through the teeth, coming through the cheeks, coming through the mask. So there's a very bright, um, and that, and I think that one of the hardest vowels and you get it over and over and over again in this, one of the harsh, hardest vowels for us to figure out and unify on in the choral wor- world in America anyway, is the A vowel. And, um, so one little tip I would give to everybody is really start to lean that A vowel toward an E. Victime, 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 instead of victime. I think if you start to go uh and darker, sometimes that can really um, can obscure some of the close clustery harmonies. So I always like to lean my A in a, in a, in a style like this, lean it more toward an E sound forward um, than toward an uh sound um, backward, you know, sort of farther back. And, uh, you know, the Brits would go with an ah, victima, victima, which I think can work as well. Um, so sort of those, those brighter colorations of the A vowel are going to serve you well. Great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I was, I, I, I think that's a great thing to talk about is that so much of this piece is really based on the sound world. Um, and I think maybe not necessarily in the rehearsal world and, you know, and I know that those are two completely different things. Um, but, uh, but I'm glad that you touched on that because this is just, I think for for TTBB choirs that are used to singing maybe larger romantic things that you know are are more access uh, not not accessible um, that there's just more of that repertoire um, in the TTBB world um, that this it's going to require a different facility it's going to reti- require different versatility and so I'm yep. glad that you touched on that. Um, okay, my last question for you on this piece is, what is your favorite thing about this piece? Ooh, that's that's good. I, you know, I really, I think my favorite thing on this piece is how I've changed, how I was able to find ways to change the feel and the texture from section to section of the text. Um, from that opening part that has sort of the step sequencing thing that gets everybody that gets everything going. And then when you get to the, the part where death and life have the epic battle, I go to a heavy halftime feel there to sort of make it stomp a little harder. And like, maybe you could see, you know, in your mind, sort of some slow motion CGI of, you know, the epic mythical battle between the forces of good and evil. You know, just a little bit heavier and um, and more dramatic there. And then we come out of that, the te- the texture changes again to where I have the basses and the baritones sort of combining to ask the question. You know, they sort of split the 
split um, the the little line of text between the two of them, and I put Mary's voice up in the tenors um, in what would probably be uh, and 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 I even have it marked as to be in head voice for the tenor ones. So you get sort of you know that treble sound um, for Mary's voice um, and over the top of the other bed, and then we sort of. Um, the the rising, you know, I have this, a little bit of polyphony going in as, as the resurgentis as she sees the Christ rising, and and so yeah, I just really I I like that I was able to find different ideas that are each distinct for the various parts of of the text, and uh, somehow it doesn't feel like a complete you know channel change from from section to section, like it really does um, have a way of 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 flowing together. So I think that, you know, for me, when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, that, you know, I like, I still like this one. I don't still like everything that I've written, but I still like this one. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. I, as I was listening to this and starting to get into the text and studied a little more, I mean, I, that, that halftime middle section that you're talking about with the Epic battle, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if I'm going to break Disney copyright, but it's very Avengers end game aspect. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I think the whole thing is cinematic. In its yeah, story. yeah. You know, yeah, I'm cinematic. really trying to, I'm really trying to paint the picture, you know, sort of a very, a short movie, um, like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's sort of a film score for a movie that you have to create in your head. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think I think like I said initially, this this piece is just so unique and it's so cool and uh, it's so different than what you might see in your in the rest of the choral program. Uh, and I think it's for for you listeners. I mean, it's 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 definitely worth a a listen through and to expand your ears and whatnot. So um, yeah, I'm so glad we were able to kind of chat about this and 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 get more from you and and how it all kind of came together. Um, so as we kind of wrap up today, I just have two more questions and they're really more about sure. you and the future. Um, so uh, can you tell us about any exciting projects that are on the horizon for you? Are we going to see a couple of compositions coming down during this next, you know, um, marketing season or um, are there commissions on your plate? Uh, what's what's coming for you? Yeah, yeah, I've had a few commissions here, you know, now coming out of the pandemic, some things are starting to come back to life a little bit more. And so uh, I, I had a few commissions this fall. And um, one of which is so so in addition to doing stuff like, like Victime, where I sort of take ancient materials and modernize them with some synth pop kind of sensitivities. Um, I also do, like I was mentioning Kirk Franklin, I also do sort of um, modern gospel and soul choral music and um so i've got a new gospel thing coming out um that will be premiered at kansas music educators association in the spring and so um once that is been premiered by mid-american nazarene university and we get it out there um and i'm collaborating with my good friend paul langford who's also a phenomenal arranger on scoring out some of the instruments for that um once, once that's done, I'll, I'll get that out there. Paul and I are also collaborating on, um, on a commission for uh, a high school in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and that will also be done in the spring. But yeah, those, those, um, those probably won't be available to everyone until maybe next summer, kind of coming into the fall season of next year. Um, but you know, the other thing that I've been working on a lot, and I actually have a little EP out um, sort of w just working on this, um, I'm working on a little, little bit of a, um, a project, a, a little idea that I've had of creating pop music that's fully like at the full quality of what you would hear on the radio, like radio pop, full on pop tunes that have a messaging that is positive and that aligns with um like what you might expect from the field of positive psychology um you know music about being grateful music about being hopeful and optimistic um lyrics that are encouraging and empowering and um like i said i have a little um a little ep called whole notes that's out on all the streaming sites right now um and the that's sort of whole notes uh number one, which is downshift. So those are all sort of slower, more meditative mantra like tunes. But then I've got, um, you know, the, the next one uh, coming out will be uplift, which will be, you know, sort of more of my um, 
medium to faster tempo pop, like dance pop, synth pop kind of stuff. Um, and working with um, a bunch of friends and, and my brother who I'd mentioned earlier um, to really produce things that will hold up to the sonic quality of broadcast level. And um, so, yeah, th that'll be fun. And some of those will become choral things. Some of those will be, you know, I'll probably score out to be um, choral tunes with, you know, piano or rhythm section accompaniment or whatever. But right now I'm really digging into, really digging into that world and really liking it. So I'm sort of, you know, keep bouncing back and forth. I, I, I just refuse to be pinned down as either a choir guy or a pop guy i am both and uh so yeah those are probably the, the the things that i have coming up um that i'm most excited about that's cool i think i think it's great when when composers can can be so versatile i think it's like i think that's amazing because it only it only dips into all the aspects, you know, the, I'm sure that the synth as the synth aspect and the pop aspect is going to dip more into commissions that you get. And I'm sure. So it's always, it's like a, a never ending circle of influence. <laughs> so I think that's, well, I think it's cool. Yeah. And it helps to keep me sharp as a musician in other yeah. ways. I mean, if you've ever sat down, um, you know, with your computer and your keyboard and tried to record to a click track, you know, or sing to a click, you know, I'm always surprised at, how I'm off one way or the other on some, you know, and I'm, I'm as rhythmic as, you know, as they get, I'd like to think, but you know, there's, there's nothing like putting your musicianship, you know, hitting the red button um, and recording your, your musicianship and, and really, um, and then collaborating with other people who are going to hear what you've done and try to add to it or edit it. And, you know, that that's keeping, it's keeping me sharp. Um, and that's a, that's a whole, you know, that's an entire portion of who I am and some of my experience in pop singing songwriting. So it's really fun for me to keep it going on that level. We all saw the terror of that during the pandemic in virtual choirs. Yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I did a lot of virtual choir editing and stuff and yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we're coming out the other side. Now. Oh man. That's, I mean, that's a skill that I will, Put in the resume, but hope to never, ever use it again. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, my last question for you today is how can our listeners find out more about you? How can they get in touch with you? How can they find your music? How can they commission you? How, 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 do, they, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. So my website is michaelenglehart.com. And uh, Engelhart is spelled the full-on German way, E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T. Uh, so michaelenglehart.com is kind of my hub. Um, and through, through that website, you can send me an email. I always respond. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're interested in a commission or whatever, we can get that conversation going. Um, and sooner than later, if you're looking at something for, you know, the spring um, we're, we're kind of getting to the, you know, may, may almost be too late, but still call and, and, or email me and see. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's probably the best way. And then you can, you can preview a lot of my work there as well. Um, my primary publisher, uh, to this point has been Walton music, um, owned by GIA. So you can go to the Walton music website to see all of my published stuff or almost all of it. And then on JW Pepper, you can kind of get everything there, including my self-published stuff. So um, so my self-published stuff, I'll upload through their MyScore program so that it sits alongside of my um, my published works as well. So that Victim A is a self-published work, but it'll show up alongside of Gaudete and all the other stuff from Walton. You know, if you do a JW Pepper search, not that you need to buy from them necessarily. You can, you know, you can always buy from my website, talk to me directly, whatever. Um, it's just another search tool for you to use. Um, and I also have a relationship with music spoke um, publishing and they're, they're fabulous as well. So you can check out some of my stuff there too. I'm glad you touched about the self publishing aspect because I know that's where victim A is. So I wanted to make sure that we, we talked about that too. Yes. All right, so Mike, I'm. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talking to uh, to talk to me tonight about you know your compositional style, your influence, Victime, uh, the vocoder, and all the all the things that we talked about. So I'm just so in, I'm just so thankful that you took time to talk to me tonight. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You know, if I could give everyone an assignment, I would say, go listen to some Kirk, Fra- Kirk Franklin, right? First of all, listen to Take Six, if you've never listened to Take Six, all right? Then listen to some Kirk Franklin, all right? And then also listen to Daft Punk, specifically the album uh, Random Access Memories. That, that, would, that would be sort of my assignment to the listeners. And then go <laughs> listen to Victim A, compl- like oh, right yeah, after sure. that. So you can... <laughs> all right, well, Mike, I hope that at some point we can meet in person and, and that we can have an opportunity to, to just chat and, 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 you know, meet face to face, maybe at a ACDA convention or something like that. Um, but again, thank you so very, very much for talking to me tonight. And, uh, and I hope all goes well in the, in your future projects. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Coral Catalog, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mike Engelhart. Please make an effort to explore more of Victime Pascali Laudes and Mike's other compositions to see if any can fit into your programs or curriculums. While you're here, take a second to hit that subscribe button and follow the Coral Catalog so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Let me know what you thought of the show too by writing a review. And most importantly, share this resource with other choral directors and choral lovers. We work better when we work together. Again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Choral Catalog.